Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. I'm just going to give you a quick overview of what I'm going to do this morning so that you know where I'm going. We're going to start by reading the passage, Psalm 17. Then I'm going, the big idea this morning, I'm just going to let you know it right ahead, right at the beginning. God is faithful to deliver all who seek to take refuge in him. That's the big idea from this passage this morning. And my title this morning is this, We Dogged Y'all. All right. Now, I know that may not make sense right now, but hopefully by the end of this message it will. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 17. And if you don't, that's okay. We'll have it up here on the screen. This is God's word. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we have come to a place where we are opening your word. It is your word. It is not my word. I do not have the liberty to make it say what I want it to say. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give me grace to to deliver accurately and concisely and, con- and clearly what you would have reached life church to hear this morning from you. Lord, may I be a vessel through which your truth comes. I ask that we would have ears to hear, that we would seek to obey how you are going to deal with each one of us individually and then us as a church corporately. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Take this, make it alive, and then give us grace to respond for the glory of your name and our benefit. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, I have a question I want to ask you as we're getting started. And the question is this, have you ever, have you ever been wrongly wronged? Have you ever been wrongly wronged? And you may be saying, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that your mama told you not to touch the stove, and you did anyway, and now you've been wronged by that stove. It's, it's your fault. I'm not talking about that you've had, uh, at the beginning of the semester, you were given a syllabus that told you you were going to have a 30-page paper due at the end of the semester, and you decided that you were going to play video games and watch movies and talk to all your friends, and now it's the night before, and you hadn't even started, and you're going to fail. I'm not talking about going into work 15 minutes late every day and having your friend punch you in and you being lazy, playing spades on the computer, keeping your profile up to date, and now the boss has caught you and it's time for you to be fired. That's not what I'm talking about right here. You have enemies in these scenarios, unwanted consequences in your life, but you need to understand that you're not being wrongly wronged, but rather you are living proof that God's word is true when he said, God is, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, if you're King James, right? Well, in Psalm 17, and that's the passage that we're in this morning, this is a psalm that addresses someone who is being wrongly Wronged. King David is pleading his case with the Lord. He's pleading his case with God to rescue him from his enemies. Now, this request is not from David for God to show him unjust favoritism. Rather, he is saying, God, I'm asking you to do what is right. David is arguing from a position of innocence. Now, he's not saying, God, I have never sinned. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, in this situation with these enemies that are surrounding me, I have done nothing wrong, and I need you to hear me. I need you to look at my situation and see that these enemies that are around me have not come because I have provoked them. You know that I am innocent. Now, David is not relying solely on his own testimony. And in verse 3, let's look at that. Verse 3, he says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me. Another word for visited could be examined. You have visited. That is hard to say. You have examined me by night. You have tested me. Three words I want to look at, look at in this verse. Tried, visited, and tested. It's, it's the imagery of a metal worker who is taking precious metals like gold or, or silver, and he's heating them up to see, to examine, to see if there's any impurity in that metal. And David is saying, you've done that to me, God, and you have found nothing. There's nothing that I have done. I'm being wrongly wronged. He continues and says, Lord, it, it has been my desire. 
It has been my goal to follow you. You know this, Lord. I have guarded my mouth. I have upheld your word, and I have kept my feet from walking on paths of wickedness. So you've got to hear me. You've got to hear me, God, because these enemies are coming at me, and I have done nothing wrong. And then in verses 6 through 9, he turns the corner, and, he, and instead of talking about his innocence, he looks at God and appeals to God based upon God's love for him. He said, you're going you're gonna to hear me, Lord, not just because I'm innocent, but because you love me. Okay? Now, I love verses 6 through 9. To me, this is my favorite part of this passage. If this was a pan of brownies, it would be the corner pieces. Can I get, a, can I get an amen on that? If it was a watermelon, come on, JC, it would be the heart of this passage. And David has great confidence in the Lord. I want us to look at it in verse 6. Listen to David. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. He doesn't say, I call upon you because you might answer me. I call upon you because I'm hoping that you'll answer me. No, he's saying, I know you will answer me. Oh, God. He is extremely confident in his God. In his God. Why? Because he knows God's word. If we're going to be confident in God, we've got to know his word. And he knows through his word how God has been faithful to his people, the Israelites, throughout history. And David has seen God's faithfulness in his own life. And he knows that God is not going to depart from him. Verse 7, wondrously. Another word for wondrously there is miraculously. Show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. No doubt that David is, as he is praying this prayer, he is remembering God's faithfulness to Israel. He's actually remembering, when he says wondrously or miraculously, he is thinking about how God rescued Israel from Egypt through miraculous works, and then he led them faithfully and patiently through the wilderness. And David is saying, Lord, I know that when you made a covenant vow with your people that you keep your word, you don't lie. He knows that he's confident in that, and that's why he's able to go to him out of God's love for him. And he's saying, I have confidence that the way that you have led and loved Israel is the same that you're going to love and lead me in this situation. Let's look at verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Now, the apple of your eye is the pupil. He's saying, God, I, I know I'm precious to you, so guard me like you would guard the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, when we think about the shadow of God's wings, we should not be picturing Tweety Bird here, okay? We need to be seeing a great eagle. Now, once again, David is remembering 
what God has done. This is actually a reference to Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 and 11, where Moses recalls God's faithfulness to the people of Israel, how God protected them like the pupil of his eye, like the apple of his eye, and he guarded them like an eagle and bound them up and picked them up when they were falling. So David is remembering. He knows God's word. He's confident in God because he knows that he has been faithful to his forefathers, and he knows he is going to be faithful to me. He is not going to leave me. I don't care what the circumstances and the enemies around me. My confidence is in you. And in verses 10 through 14, David describes his enemies as heartless, worldly-minded, arrogant, lurking lions that are, are seeking to devour him. But in verse 15, he's like, it's all good, though. It's all good. My enemies, they have put their hope in this world. They've put their hope in this life. They've put their hope in themselves. And they're going to leave everything to their children. But as for me, my eyes are on you, Lord. My faith is in you. And therefore, when I awake, I shall be satisfied. With your likeness. It may be that even right here, he's thinking about the resurrection. That he's going, they may kill me in this life, but ultimately, I'm going to see your face and be satisfied. Again, the big idea is that God is faithful to deliver all who seek to take refuge in him. So, we've read the passage, we've kind of walked through it real quickly question I have now is, how does that passage relate to us today? How does it, knowing that David, we know that David got rescued, right? That's cool, but how should that encourage and motivate us in 2018 today? Because we all are surrounded by enemies from time to time, and so I hope this morning that if you're taking notes, I hope to share with you three gospel observations that I, that I see in this text, and I hope that these Truths will motivate us all this morning. And basically, I've got a heading over the three observations, and that is that in God's economy, dot, 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 one, two, three, okay? So in God's economy, number one, enemies are friends. In God's economy, enemies are friends. Now, I know you might be thinking that does not make any sense. Friends and enemies are mutually exclusive, right? You can't flip a coin and it be land heads and tails, right? You cannot turn left and right at the same time. You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? Those are mutually exclusive. So how can a enemy be a friend? Because a friend, a friend is someone who comes into our lives for our well-being, our welfare. They, they want good for us. An enemy is someone that comes into our lives to destroy us. So how can an enemy be a friend? Well, I have noticed that in this passage and in the lives of many of us in this room and in my own life, that time and time and time again and over and over and over again, I've noticed this truth. This, You've got to hear this. As we seek to follow the Lord, okay, as we seek to follow the Lord, He, God, often allows enemies to come into our lives in order to accomplish a work that could not be accomplished otherwise. 
We need to understand this, disciples of Jesus. We've got to get this, okay? I'm going to read it one more time. As we seek to follow the Lord, God often allows enemies to enter into our lives in order to accomplish a work that cannot be accomplished otherwise. And sometimes they come in the form of a person like in this passage, but other times they come neatly wrapped to our doorsteps in the forms of enemies, I mean, hardships and trials and unwanted circumstances. And I think that this is where, if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is right now where we need to be reminded of something. Before you came to Jesus, Jesus said, you need to count the cost if you're going to follow me. Following me is not easy. Your life may not get better in this world, in, in your circumstances. He said, if you're going to come to me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It costs you something to follow me. It costs you your life. And when we follow Jesus, sometimes we encounter, no, not some, yes, yeah, sometimes, and I guarantee you, we all will, will in, encounter these things, but we, we find ourselves in situations that we don't like. Relationships can get really hairy when you're following Jesus. Family relationships can get strained. Friendships can be lost. Job promotions can be missed. And your popularity can really drop off in this world. And I think one of the most difficult things of following Jesus is when you are following Jesus, right? You've got your mind set on following him and heart, and you are, you're taking the right steps, and you're just being misunderstood. But you have to keep, the, keep on track if you're going to be following Jesus. And just out of curiosity this morning, based on what I just described, how many of you would say there's a, an enemy that, or a trial or something that you're in right now that you can kind of relate to? All right. All right. Not everybody's hands were up. A lot of people's. Listen, if your hand wasn't up, don't feel bad. I promise you it will be one day. God is faithful. And we need to understand, though, if, if, if we're going to be truly following after Jesus, like David, there are going to be times that God allows trials and enemies into our life. In, in 1 Peter 4, I'm going to give you a, a loose translation. This isn't the King James translation. This is the James Nysong translation. He says, don't freak out. Don't freak out when trials start coming at you. He calls them fiery trials. He said they're there. They are there to test you. What are you really made out of? Are you the real deal? You should be rejoicing that that trial is there. James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, God allows enemies into our lives to accomplish a work that cannot be accomplished otherwise. So in his sovereignty, God allows enemies into our lives to test us 
and he uses unwanted conflicts and relationships and undesired circumstances that appear to be against us, he takes them and uses them to aid us in our sanctification, in our growth. And another thing, another reason why enemies are such a good friend to us believers is because they reveal something in us that we would not see otherwise. They reveal that we are weak. I didn't get no amens on that one. Our pride hates that, doesn't it? We hate to fail, don't we? Because it shows us that we are what we are, and that is that we are weak. But like a good neighbor, enemies are there, and they have a way of revealing our hidden weakness. And this is God's kindness to us. Enemies are friends. And I can remember when I was 11 years old, um, I went to Sunday school and sat down in the class, and there were two boys there. And midway through the lesson, these boys started picking on me. They were picking on me because of my ethnicity. Um, Now, I want to be clear, I'm half white and, and half Asian. They were not picking on my white side, okay? They were picking on my Asian side. Now, today, it's cool to be Asian, okay? We're living in a day and age where it's cool to be Asian, but back then, it was not, okay? I'm, t- I'm just telling you, it was not. And they were making fun of me, and I'm not, and they were looking at me, and I looked at them, and I realized, there's nothing I can do about this. And they knew it. They're like, what you going to do about it? Well, I basically endured the rest of the class and decided, uh, I thought it was over, started going back to my car where my parents would be, and midway through, I was uh, jumped from behind, and they basically beat me up. They beat me up. And if anybody, if you've ever had anything like that happen to you, you know what it feels like to be violated and hurt and humiliated and shamed and, and the feelings of fear and vulnerability. I was, for the first time in my life, I was afraid to go to church because I knew that the next week they probably were going to be there back in the class. And this uninvited enemy had done something to me. It had made me, reve- uh, it had made me realize that I am weak and I am vulnerable, which leads me to our second observation Enemies are friends because they reveal weakness. And number two, weakness is strength. Weakness is strength. David, in verses 10 through 12, and we're going to look at that, he describes what his enemies look like. He says, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. David is keenly aware that he is surrounded by an enemy that's more powerful than himself. He is aware of his weaknesses. And guess what? This is a good thing. It's a good thing. 
Why? Because it causes him to seek refuge somewhere else. And it is in my weakness when I realize that I ain't got the power. It's in my weaknesses that I realize I need God. And only he is able to give me the power to go through and to get through these enemies. It makes me dependent upon God. Now, I want to point out two places in this passage. Well, they're not actually they're not in this passage. I want to point out two places that David did not go to seek refuge. Number one, he did not go seek refuge in other people. He did not seek refuge in other people. Now, I want to kind of open this up just a little bit, unpack this a little bit. Now, you know in Reach Life Church that we're not like family. We, right? So if you're here going, yeah, I don't need nobody. I like David. That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I am saying, though, is this. God has put us together to encourage one another to look to who? God, right? Not to each other. Not to each other. Because ultimately, the church did not die for you. I did not die for you, and you did not die for me. But I can point you to the one who did. And that's what our counsel should always be as we are, are caring for one another. We have to lay down our lives oftentimes and go to one another and care, but not so that, that we will become dependent upon one another, but so that we will be dependent upon God, and we point one another to God. David does not look to others. I'm not saying nobody was speaking truth in his life and encouraging him, but ultimately he did not stop with man. He went all the way to where he should go. He went to God. Secondly, David does not seek refuge in himself. I spoke about this uh, two Sundays ago when I was talking about who is your faith in. Are we going to talk about how our gifts and our beauty and, and how great we are? And God has made us amazingly in ways that, are, are, that glorify him, but he does not look at himself and go, oh yeah, remember that giant I slayed? He doesn't do that. Because even in that giant, he knew that he didn't do it. He knew that God made that rock sink in that mug's head. So, David is not trusting in his past victories or in his current strength. So in God's economy, number one, enemies are, what are enemies? Friends. Friends. Weakness is, and number three, kneeling is standing. Kneeling is standing. Let's look at verse six one more time. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Notice what David is doing. He is humbling himself before the Lord. He is on his knees before the Lord. He's not saying, God, watch me. I got this. He's not saying, God, we got this. He's saying, God, you got this. He's saying, I can't do it. I need help. I need a Savior, which is ultimately, listen, that's ultimately what God is trying to get us to see when he brings enemies into our lives. He's trying to get us to see where we really are and that we need a Savior. 
So as you think about that enemy in your life, that trial that's in your life, those of you that raised your hand, understand that God has it there, not to crush you, but that you would turn on your knees so that you can stand in him. It is not in ourselves. David says, I call to you, for you will answer me, keep me, hide me. And in verse 13, I love verse 13. Maybe this is part of the brownies, like the ones next to it. Confront him, subdue him. Let me back up, I missed. Arise, arise, O Lord. Can you picture that? The mighty lion rising up. Confront him. Subdue him. Have y'all seen the lot? We saw the Lion King just a few weeks ago, right? Out here, out there. And in, in that, Simba has done what he shouldn't have done, and now the coyotes are coming to get him, and he's like, row, row. you know, he's trying to roar, and all of a sudden he goes, and you, you hear Mufasa roaring, right? And the enemies turn around. That's kind of what he's doing here. Arise, oh Lord, show him who you are. Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, oh Lord, from men of the world whose portion in, is in this life. He says, I can see through them because I can see who you are. I'm not afraid of them. They have put their faith in something that's perishing. But as for me, I have put my faith and trust in you, and you're going to deliver me. And get this, in this passage, he doesn't tell God how to do it. Okay, we got This is another important thing we've got to get. When we cry out to God, we don't tell him, God, do it this way, or when to do it. Our confidence is not in how or when, it's he will deliver me. You know, when Moses came out from Egypt, they're all rejoicing and when he's delivering them out and they come to the Red Sea and all of a sudden they look back and here comes the enemies, right? They call out to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord, but he doesn't even know what God's about to do. He doesn't tell him how to do it. Because if he had told him how to do it, he probably said, just mow them down. But if he had mowed them down, a greater miracle would not have been seen. And that's what, what David is saying. Show me your miraculous. Show me something that's going to blow my mind. I trust you, Lord. You can do much more abundantly than I can even imagine. And I can remember on that Sunday where I had gotten beaten up, going home and being humiliated. I can remember not wanting to go back to church because, again, like I said before, I knew that my enemies were there going to be waiting for me. And like David, I knew that I didn't have it within myself to defend myself. So I humbled myself and I went to my dad. I told him what happened. And here's what he told me. He said, okay. If those boys come back next week, go get your big brother. Your big brother. Now, my big brother had hit in puberty or puberty, depends on where you're from. 
So he was about a foot taller than me and these boys. I was like, yeah, go get my big brother. So I started to have a confidence that I can go back now. Went back, sat down in class, and sure enough, the boys were there. They were targeting me again. They were taunting me all during the class. I just looked forward. They're like, we're going to do worse today than we did last week. Well, after class was over, I made a beeline straight to my brother. And sure enough, they were following me from behind. And my brother said, leave James alone. He just stopped him. And I'm like behind him now. <laughs> and they said, well, what are you going to do? I can't really go into detail what happened. <laughs> but let's just say that my brother took care of my enemies that day by his mighty right hand. <laughs> and as my enemies fled, I ran after them in confidence. And I yelled at the top of my lungs, We told y'all! Woo! I added a little Ric Flair at the end of it. And they never came back. Which isn't good because it was church, but oh well. If this is your first time here, I promise you, we will not treat you like that. But, uh, <laughs> but if you, okay. So, um, but I hope you see the point. I had an enemy. It revealed my weakness, and instead of me looking to myself, it caused me to humble myself and find refuge in my big brother. But look at this. What did I do? I did nothing but call on my brother, and he did the work. And I just came in from behind, right? Now, he got the credit, and the glory. But I claimed it as my own because it was my own through him. And so we need to learn. We need to learn that when we have enemies in our lives, we need to start looking at them as our friends if you're in Christ. Because enemies are there by design. And you might be saying this morning, you know, I've got enemies in my life right now, and I am overcome to a point where I have no idea what to do. And let me tell you something, that's exactly the best place for you to be right now. Because it's like Second uh, Chronicles 20, when there was a king, his name was Jehoshaphat. And this enemy came against Israel for no reason. And to be honest with you, it made Israel afraid. And here's what they did. They fell to their knees and said, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You're the only one that can rescue. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from this grave. And God did. And Israel just went, went through. They didn't even raise a sword, and they picked up the spoils. God delivered. Enemies are meant to point us to God that we might find our strength in God. And our, our 
part in it is to call out to the Lord and to walk in behind. Now, in this passage, David is getting his confidence. He knows the Lord loves him because he's looking back to what, what God had done for Israel. But this morning, we have a greater reality that we can look back to that can convince us that God loves us, that he is going to be for us, and that is the cross of Christ. Christ died for his enemies to make us his friends so that we would see our weakness and come to him for strength and kneel before him to him who stands to save us. That is what this passage is teaching. It's, our, it's teaching that our hope would be in God and not in ourselves. And that's how we were created, to be dependent upon God. And when we truly rest in him, that's where we find peace and life and hope and vision. And since God is willing to forgive us of all our sins, which the cross proves, and because he rose from the dead, proving that he is indestructible, why would we not find our refuge in the God who loves us and cannot be defeated? Because when we do, when we come to God, when our enemies drive us to God, he will rescue us and God alone will be glorified and his people will rejoice. That is the heart of a, of a true believer, is that God would be glorified, that God would get all the glory and praise and honor. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be all the glory. And so this morning, if you raised your hand and you said, you know, I've got an enemy, I've got a trial, I've got a situation in my life that's greater than me. I want to ask you something. Where are you going right now to find your refuge? Because you're going somewhere. Are you going to yourself? Are you going to someone and stopping there? Are you going to something in this world that just kind of will numb the pain? Or... Are you going to God? Let me encourage you, if, if it's not God, I want to encourage you to repent today. Confess, God, I've made something else an idol other than you. And David proclaimed in uh, Psalm 6, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. And by his grace, may we be a church that does the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.